Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. The Pope and Young Club wants to welcome you as we rally together to ensure our bow hunting opportunities for today and tomorrow. You've come to the podcast that believes in preserving, protecting, and promoting the passion for bow hunting. Join us as we strive to be the voice of today's bow hunter. This is the Pope and Young Podcast. All right, guys. Welcome to the Pope and Young Podcast. I'm Dylan, joined by my new co-host, Tim Rizuski. Tim, how's life in, in Oregon, man? In Oregon. Oregon's good. Um, average weather like everybody else, 90s, but we're dry here. No humidity. No humidity. Yeah, that's what. That's the difference, dude, is it's 80% humidity here in Kansas. <laughs> yeah, it's not here. I'm not sweating. I don't have bug problems or nothing. <laughs> yeah. We are joined by a special guest, Mr. Daniel Welker. Daniel is our new world record holder in the Velvet Woodland Caribou category. Uh, just announced it at convention. And Daniel was fired up, which makes us fired up. Daniel, how are you, man? I'm doing good. Looking forward to being a part of Pope and Young Club. I've been doing this stuff for a long time, and now I have a real reason to be part of this club. That's awesome, man. Uh, you're one of those guys that... It makes me jealous because I'm like, let's do a podcast. You're like, I'm hunting. I'm like, all right. Well, and then you try again in two months, and you're like, I'm hunting. Then you try again in a month and a half, and you're like, I'm hunting. Then you try again, and I'm like, does this guy do anything other than hunt? Yeah, it's pretty cool to get to have parents that travel kind of the world all over the place and getting to know that there's other opportunities for other animals out there to go hunt year-round pretty much. That's awesome, man. Well, before we dive into the story of the caribou, uh, how did you get started in bow hunting? Uh, my grandpa and dad, they were into it a little bit. And then uh, 
I guess it was like junior year of high school. I just randomly went into a bow shop and got a, a 20, 2003 Mighty Might Bowtech and killed a deer like two weeks later. And then it just all started after that. That's awesome, man. That's cool. So where is, uh, where's home for you? Houston area. Um, I grew up in Sugarland, kind of west of Houston, and now I'm a little bit further west of that in Brookshire area. Well, I'm sorry for well, make about sure in December you're available. We're doing the bow hunter bash down there at Cold Station. Yeah, I keep hearing y'all talking about on that all that on the podcast and different things, and I gotta find find a way to fit it in with this crazy hunting season that I got going this year. Right. I was about to say, Tim, he'll probably be hunting, dude. <laughs> hey, I got to put it out there. No. He says he wants to get involved. Yeah, no, I'm, I definitely want to get involved. Uh, I want to potentially try and see some lines moved and get some more animals entered into the program. Like I have two animals that people don't even really know exist on the planet that are North American animals now and. They're kind of their world records because I'm the only one that's ever killed them. So, oh wow, that's cool. So, what are they? What are we talking about here? Uh, the last one, one of the ones that y'all are having a hard time getting me on the podcast for, was I went down to the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico for a red brocket deer in the jungle of it's kind of around Cancun, and uh, people don't even know that there's this little deer running around there. It's about 25 pounds they just pretty much grow spikes for antlers and from everything that we've gathered and hopefully through like this podcast and like people can start hearing about it and so far we've never heard of a single person that's ever killed one with a bow and i finally got it done this year after 21 days of hunting the last three years oh wow yeah it's it's a pretty tough little critter to find in the jungle when you can't see three feet without hitting a leaf or a branch. What's their uh, primary predator for that deer down there? Besides, uh, They have the ocelots, jaguars, you know, all the big cats, pumas. Um, that's, I think that's about, yeah, that would be the only three cats, I think. Right on, right on. So what? Was the appeal to woodland caribou and velvet? I mean, did you look at that and say, man, there's a vacancy in world record. I think I can hit that. Well, sort of. So I did the year before COVID and I went in when it would have been hard antler time. And um, I ended up killing a bull on, I think it was my 14th day or 12th or 14th day. I can't remember right now, but um, it ended up being right at Boone and Crockett, which was right around 300 inches. Um, but I ended up killing him with the rifle after one of his cows blew and started taking off. And, um, I, uh, wasn't going to pass up the opportunity after that many days in the field, kind of worn out. So after that, I was just talking with my buddy and we were like, man, we can, we can definitely get out there and potentially have a chance at a world record seeing what we've seen during that hunt and i uh, decided to rebook 
and then COVID happened. And then I had to go get those shots. And um, I ended up being probably one of the first people back in Canada to go hunt and got lucky and found this bull on opening morning right off the bat. You oh, wow. didn't get lucky because you knew the quality so, was there. I mean, you knew what you were going after. Yeah, the quality is there in Newfoundland. People just, they, you know, most of the time take the first animal they see, which this one was the first animal I saw. Yeah. So, interesting. Do you think that uh, woodland caribou and velvet isn't um, taken as often with bow? because of the time of year that you have to hunt them or is it something else uh see i'm i'm kind of excited about this because i don't think it's gonna be a realistic thing to go get you're only get the season's only a gonna only going to allow one or two weeks max of velvet antlers right so you really have to prepare and get in there right at opening day to be able to get one of these bulls with velvet. So in our record book, we have, you know, 243 hardhorn woodlands and only seven velvet. Um, the latest bull taken in velvet was September 10th, but most, the other six are all taken before September 2nd. So is it hard to get a hunt booked or a tag or whatever in that August, early September time? Are the animals not there? No, they're definitely there. This bull kind of is throwing a pickle into the whole program. There's a lot more people that have booked years out now um, before you could get a tag pretty easily available next year. But now that people are seeing that there's these giant bulls out there, it pretty much booked out for the next two to three years. So um, you really have to put your time in on just waiting, waiting to be able to go have the opportunity to hunt a velvet bull. Right on. You know, there's, I've learned there's two types of hunters that kill world records. The type of hunters who shoot the, the bull or buck and, and uh, they don't know what they have. And then they get it measured, and they're like, oh, I didn't even know this was close. Or then the type of guy that looks and says, man, I think if I go to this area in the right time, I think I can kill a new world record. And they do it. Um, I respect aspects of both. But, man, kudos to you for, for looking at that and thinking, dude, there's some big bulls here, and I think if we get it in the right time, we can kill a new world record. So I think that's that's awesome, man. How'd the hunt, how'd the hunt play out? Um, well, I ended up, um, <laughs> listening to some of the other podcasts and stuff. And there's only a couple guys that are hard headed like me. I, um, uh, I actually got to look this bull over right at daylight and there was word that there potentially was another bull a couple hills over that had been seen a couple days before. So I was like, oh, I want to go look at that one. So I pull out, sneak away from this bull that I ended up killing to go try and take a look at the other one. And we ended up not finding him. And um, we spent about an hour and a half trying to do that. And then came back and we made a game plan with one of the local guides. And 
uh, that ended up not panning out because it is that kind of tundra country. So you don't have very much stuff to hide behind. And uh, the only other option was to take like a big hour and a half, two hour loop around the mountain. And we ended up taking that loop around the mountain and it all worked out perfect at that time. Of course, most people know caribou country is blowing like crazy and it was blowing 30 plus mile an hour. And we snuck into 32 yards and he presented the perfect quartering away shot. And I, you know, blacked out for that second, put the arrow right where it needed to go. And um, he ran like 40, 50 yards over a hill. We snuck up over quick and I was able to take another shot. I like to shoot as many times as I can until they're not breathing. And that second shot, he took off down the hill, ran into the lake. And Thank goodness he ran into the lake because he kind of died in the water, so he didn't bang up his velvet, which was kind of nice. Well, that brings up an important <laughs> aspect. <laughs> we Tread have lightly. people. Tread we lightly. have people <laughs> who want to know why <laughs> you shot this animal in the water and your fruit of the looms. <laughs> Did you get a sponsorship with Haynes? <laughs> Uh, I, I wish. Hopefully, that comes out of all this. <laughs> uh, no, honestly, um, there is some questions out there as to the water. So he ended up dying in the water, and then why I ended up using that picture as the picture that I want to be known about with this is to actually make myself work harder. Like I want to work harder, so now I can look at that picture. And I'm like, I'm never going to put another picture out like that. So I'm going to work harder and be in better shape, be a better archer, be better at everything so I can be the best person I can out there because I do have some of these crazy goals to kill Boone and Crockett quality Pope and Young animal. That's That's awesome. And I don't know if how many people out there realize how many animals die, go to water, die. I mean, I've pulled pronghorn out of the water, bears out of the water, um, turkeys out of ditches. Mm -hmm. Uh, To me, it just seemed pretty obvious that, hey, I don't want to get my clothes wet. I'll go (laughs) in in the skivvies and get them out, and somebody snapped a candid photo. Yeah. But there's more to it. <laughs> yeah, no, that, the, that's truly actually what I was thinking. I want to always have that picture there for the world to see. And I don't want to ever look like that again. I want to be better than I've ever been in the future. I just thought you were trying to get a sponsorship with Haynes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah. So what's your next time? Where are you going next? Stone Sheep here in a couple weeks. Now, is this in the area where you have been guiding? Or is this no, unseen? Unknown? Yeah, this will. I've been up in the BC, the northern BC a couple times, um, but never for sheep. This is my first entry into the sheep world just because we know that the prices are just getting out of control and they're getting ridiculous. I hear that there's hundred thousand dollar stone sheep tags out there now. Wow. So the NDA, yeah, it's not going to be on my list if that's the case. 
the NDA put out a study, and of course this is this is dear, but I think it equates to anything. Um, water is an animal's best escape route from danger. They're looking for they're looking to get away from everything else. Um, imagine that a thirst sensation hits within seconds of being shot. Uh, blood pressure drops rapidly, so they're trying to cool off. Um, so if they have time, you know that those things go through the mind. That's where they want to get. Do you think that's true in Africa, though? I don't think they want to go into the water. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. So you and I had a long conversation, Daniel. After convention, we were in an unexpected hurry to crate and ship all the trophies back to the owners so that the facility could use the building for another event that we didn't know about until the last minute. You stepped up. I hadn't really met you other than on stage and in passing. And you helped me out for two days. Didn't ask you to. We had a blast. Great conversations. So I thank you for that. But in our conversation... You mentioned your family's um, hunting sort of history and their experience and role in Safari Club. And I kind of got the feeling from you that although you knew about Pope and Young, the convention kind of took you into it a, a new realm with your thoughts of Pope and Young. What was your thought before? And and what are you thinking about Pope and Young and other organizations? Uh, well, the very first thing, like, and pretty much the main thing I would say about Pope and Young is how open everybody was. Everybody talked to everyone. There's no, there's no big wig, you know, like somebody's, oh, this guy's the big rich guy. You know, he's the one that hunts all over the world, like and can't talk to him there's none of that you can just walk up to anybody and they just talk to you like you're a regular person rather than being some hot shot that you're kind of a scared to talk to you can go you know we everybody always talks about chuck adams i got a message from him the day before the show started and he's like, hey, have you seen your caribou? It's uh, the new world record. I've never met him or anything. And he's sending me a message on Instagram saying, do you want to see a picture of your score? And I ended up telling him, no, I'll wait till I'm at the show. But, you know, one of the biggest names in the industry is sending me messages just just because, you know, just nice people. And I really appreciated that. And. It makes me want to be a part of the club more and more when I get to talk to people like that. Well, that's wonderful. You know, Chuck is a great example of someone that is, although he's a private person and he's in the industry, he's easy to walk up and talk to. And, you know, he'll call me and and ask things all the time. It's not like he's with me, he doesn't have an ego. And so I see that as well, despite being staff, 
people come up and talk to me all the time at Pope and Young and ask about your trophy or, or other people's trophies. And I tell them, Hey, he's right over there. Go talk to him. Yeah. That's pretty neat to be in a smaller club, but it's still, in my opinion, one of the best at keeping scoring together and seeing that I want to hopefully help in the future, take the scoring system and lines and all of that stuff into the, our future, you know, everything's what do you know, Tim, when all of the scores were set and lines were all set, what year that was by chance? The exact year. No, each one would be I do know. Um, well, sure. We have adjusted, you know, we've changed things. A few yeah, things, no. a few things. The scoring system at Boone and Crockett did go through iterations, but for the most part, the the rules and guidelines that we follow for for all the species that we have have been established since the 50s. Mm-hmm. And you could talk to a dozen people and they will ask obvious questions. Why is this a rule? Why, why isn't this animal recognized separately? There is precedence. There is history. Those discussions did take place. But then at the end of the day, like you're suggesting, um, there are many factors that maybe in the future, some things do change. I think the biggest factor is technology and uh, property rights. I'm really concerned about the the future of hunting in the worlds of public access and private property rights. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to see things that we don't expect. And uh, I don't know if in a generation or two, it'll be just the old over the counter style hunting in a lot of places. Yeah. Yeah. Along these lines, like I talking about the club, Tim, you, um, said to me at the show, you were like, bring the research to me and we'll look at it. And, you know, like the reason why we were talking about that is Shiris Moose, the line, the Canadian and the U.S. border. So now I'm thinking like where I'm going with that is right now, all the Shiris tags in the United States are insane or you got to draw them. Well, let's extend the line up into Canada. Now we're getting down into a tag that we can buy for a reasonable price. And now we're going to get more entries into the club data. by having us have the opportunity to go shoot potentially a Shiras moose in Canada, which is a $10,000 tag, which is reasonable for some people, not everybody, but a lot of people. Yeah. And anytime you're talking about boundary changes, that that requires a lot of research, a lot of data game management agencies would get involved and Buna Crockett's record committee, let alone Pope and Young's would look at it all, discuss it and make a decision. I know they've looked at a lot of boundary suggestions or species suggestions over the last four or five decades. Mm -hmm. They don't just, say no, cold no, 
they may, if they've already discussed it and you and I maybe don't know about it, but if you bring data, they will look at it, which is pretty awesome. You know, I, uh, and you might still get a no. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I want to take a step back and talk about your, your convention. So this was your first convention. Um, and you know, exactly Mm -hmm. what you said was, was this was, so this was my second convention. Um, and that's what you think going into this. You think because Pope Young for the longest time has had that negative notion of it's a good old boys club and you've got to be some special bow hunter to be welcomed and you have to do this. Um, and I learned quickly, I'm like talking to the legends of bow hunting and you know, they're telling me about the world records they've shot and everywhere they've hunted, but they're like, well, tell me about that doe you shot last year. And I'm like, you care? Like, that's incredible. Um, so I absolutely experienced the same thing you experienced of just open arms and welcome to the club. We're glad you're here. We're glad you're part of us. Um, what other, what other things would you tell people if they've never been to a Pope and Young convention, why would you tell them it, it, it needs to be a must visit? Well, this year being my first year, the the must that comes out of that is it was probably the biggest gathering of giant animals ever oh, in history. Yeah. From what I could tell, Tim, you probably know the exact answer to that. Well, again, it's my second convention as well. And when you talk to people on the records committee or the board or someone like Larry Strive, who have been to every convention or most of them, they too said it's definitely the largest number of animals. And because we brought so many velvet in, um, I think we had somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 to 50 animals that were in the top five all time, wow. let alone the 13 world records. So you're probably absolutely right. Yeah, that was by far the biggest thing that I took out of it is just getting to be a part of seeing that gathering because it's, that's not a normal thing. You go to SCI. Yeah. There's a lot of beautiful things, but there's not 13 world records. Yeah. The real ones, there might be replicas, but not the real ones. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, and, and Safari club too international animals which is very appealing and it's and it's exciting um i imagine many other events like safari club are larger in scale more people we can get bigger mm-hmm. um but i think a lot of times it comes down to either timing of the year or where it's located and so we had a great turnout yeah, well, it was a little late, but it was it ended up working out good. I guess a lot of people are about to go into bear hunting right about sure. then. But well, the thing about it was a SCI pretty good time. that I think is so much different. If you go to SCI, there's going to be lion hunters. There's going to be duck hunters. There's going to be fishermen. There's going to be I mean, all sorts of sportsmen from across the board. Whereas if you come to Pope and Young, you know that every single one of those are like-minded, conservation-minded, ethical bow hunters that care about fair chase bow hunting. 
So it's just completely different because you know everybody's here. Everybody here's values line up exactly with mine. Um, so that's what's really cool for me about Pope and Young is, you know, you don't you don't run into somebody and they're like, oh, dude, I've never tried bow hunting before. I'm a big duck hunter from down in South Texas. Uh, they're all bow hunters. You know what I mean? And so that's what's really cool for me is they're all like like minded. They're all just just like me, and and we can swap stories all day long because we're all bow hunters. A lot of them get the struggle. Yeah. The mental, yeah. physical exactly. struggle. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You're All the hours together. of shooting a bow and some of us struggle more than others. <laughs> Why'd you trust me? I feel like that was a shot at me, Tim. Maybe. <laughs> uh I I will neither confirm nor deny. But I do struggle a lot. Yeah, wait till you start trying to go for world record quality. Yeah, see, I'm not. I I just go for horns at this point. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah, live in blacktail country. I I've seen some bucks that I can't even imagine. I in that brief moment that I saw them, I don't know if they were 150, 170. They were giant. I've never had. A Boone and Crockett level blacktail within the kill zone. It's just that hard. So when my buddy killed that giant 150 in velvet that became the world record, he knew this buck. He had been watching this buck for years. He didn't know it was going to be a world record. I think there are those, like Dylan had said earlier, that go into hunts after specific animals and still get surprised at the final score after it's all said and done. Mm-hmm. So when you say going after world cl- record class, I think that means anything in the caribou world, anything within 20 inches and you, and you're pretty confident that's within 20, you know, where it lands up is, it doesn't matter to me. Mm-hmm. It has a number. But that when you recognize it's that class, that's an exciting time because it's rare. Yeah. 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 Like this velvet caribou, um, it was pretty much a guarantee that we kill a pretty good bull, we're going to get a world record just because the entries aren't there yet. But sure. our goal was to kill the world record all time. And we got pretty close. The, there's one, right, right. There's one hard antler entry and... I finally talked to Justin over at Boone and Crockett and there's only 12 hard antler entries ahead of my bull in all category. So that's, that's awesome. pretty, pretty neat thing. To that see is that. really neat. So we've talked about caribou. Obviously you have a world record, but you also received an award for a giant Roosevelt. And you and I talked about other species but it leads to my question I like to ask. What is your favorite North American species to hunt and why? Uh, I haven't hunted them in a couple of years, but that's going to go to the coos deer, which I guess Tim says cows. Tim's, Tim's <laughs> one of those <laughs> weird guys that say it correctly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so the coos deer has a very special place in my heart. It's like hunting a mountain goat whitetail. And when you put a bow into it, it just, it's 
in my opinion, so far, it's the hardest and most insane animal to go after in North America. You know, I was talking um, to a buddy. Um, well, one of the guys, Zach Farrenball from the Hunting Public, drew a coos deer tag. And he's like, man, I just don't, I don't know. I, I got the tag, so I'm obviously going to go on the hunt. But, And I'm like, you know, you're going to be surprised because dudes don't come back from coos deer hunting being like, eh, it was all right. Most guys come back having fallen in love with chasing them. You either love it or you hate yeah. it, and most guys love it. But I've never talked to somebody who's just like, yeah, if I get the tag, I'll hunt them. They either absolutely love it or they're like, I'm not even putting in for the tag anymore. Uh, but most guys, once they chase them, man, they're addicted. Yeah, all of my coos deer hunting's been in Mexico, so it's buying a tag through an outfit. And I've been over 15 times, and I've only killed three with a rifle and one with a bow. The last six years of that, I was really trying to do bow hunting and being a hard head and trying to go after monsters. I was going after 130 plus inch bucks. And wow. one year I got to go after a, it's a pretty famous deer in the coos deer industry, but um, he ended up dying probably the week before we got there by a lion. But he ended up being picked up the next year and he was in the mid 160s. So, oh my gosh, that was my real like drive that. I might be able to hunt animals that are the world class. So that one would have been a world record that maybe never would have been broken if I'd have got them with the bow. So what's next for you? What do you look at next as being a realistic, I can go kill a new world record in this? Um, Typical hard whitetail. He doesn't yeah, want to spill the beans. <laughs> the whitetail I'm never really going to pursue that way but surprisingly i do have a buck that i passed last year an outfitted hunt in saskatchewan and most people that hunt up there know that it was a bad antler growth year so i just told the outfitter i'm gonna burn my tag on this buck i'm not gonna kill him he has the potential and if everything turns out he he did make it through the year um so hopefully he got the right food and water this year and blows up and we can be potentially hunting a whitetail that's going to be playing with the top quality typical whitetail wow that's the yeah. longest standing record yeah hopefully we can do it it will be it will be pretty amazing thing he was a 187 as a three-year-old god so See, yeah. I would have shot him when he was 150 oh, as a two-year-old. That's where I stand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Last year, he was like in the mid-160s. So he dropped down just because of that bad year. So hopefully, you know, every now and then animals go through those drought spells and they'll drop yeah. and then I'll come back the next year and they'll just blow up. So we're hoping... He'll blow up as a typical if he grows a couple extra points. I guess we'll just have to deal with it. But <laughs> all right, that leads me into a question. Typical twelve the last two years. That leads me into a question for for both of you, Tim. What do you say to the guy who absolutely hates that we do net instead of gross? Well, then you just don't understand the scoring system. 
you, you don't understand its purpose or what it's based on. Antlered animals, we reward mass and symmetry. That's what it's about. Yeah. With moose, we reward width and palmation. And then the argument of the whole nets are for fish thing, it's in jest. It's like a tax. I think Roy said that once, and I and I said, hey, I kind of like that. But every single animal in the book, in the category, you're upset that you got to have a net. Every animal in the book has been put against the same rules and standards. Yeah. At the end of the day, every animal out there has a number. I like that people get hung up and chase numbers. Like Daniel will pass animals that you and I would never dream of passing, but that's him. Yeah. And at the end of the day, when that buck hits the ground, there's nothing he can do to change that number. Now the animal is what it is. And I believe in the scoring system too. I think it's right. It's there needs to be a typical and then non-typical let's take that typical frame and get the deductions and then add all the extras in. It's just, and if you want to, if you want to do the whole add every inch and that all counts, there's programs, SCI, they'll do it for you. Well, and that's what like, for those guys who say, I don't believe in the scoring system, but then they ask their buddies, well, what's your deer score? Well, if you don't believe in the scoring system, why are you asking what it scored? Because if there's no scoring system, there's no number to give it. It's just a big deer. Um, so there has to be a scoring system like there, there has to be some sort of uniform rules because I can't go out and say, Oh dude, I, I have more points in a basketball game than anybody in history. Yeah. it was in the street with my four year old boy, but I, dude, I scored more points than, than anybody in history. Well, no, because it wasn't official. There was no, you know what I mean? So there has to be an official scoring method. And if you don't believe in it, then don't ever ask somebody, what's your deer score? Uh, how big was it? How many inches was it? You said you don't believe in the score. There's system, another so. thing in play here too, Dylan. You know, obviously there's the disappointment. I had a great hunt. This animal is my pride and joy. If I put a number on it, it's going to change how I feel about it. I understand that. Your hunt is for you. Yeah. The animal has a number, if you want to honor that animal against its, I don't want to say peers, but the other animals in its category, then the number has value. Oh, absolutely. But then there's the other aspect, Dylan. Some people don't know how to measure. Dylan asked me the other day, now, wait a minute. You don't get a circumference measurement between every time? (laughs) I'm like, you got to come to class, man. I just told you, dude, I'm like, I've been around a lot of redneck measures, dude, and they want the biggest number they can get. And uh, but no, but you're 100% correct, Tim. I went into a hunt last year, and I was hunting with a recurve, and I was chasing velvet whitetails. And I told the outfitter, I'm like, dude, I don't care. Like, if I get within 20 yards of a, of a nice, mature animal, I'm shooting it. And uh, he said, well, you work for Pope and Young. You don't want it to make Pope and Young? I'm like, if it does, that's great. Like, but dude, this this is a velvet whitetail with my recurve, and so I I do think it'll make Pope and Young. But I went into that, and score did not matter because it was about the hunt. It was about the weapon for me at, at that point. Um, 
I could have cared less if it was a, a fork and horn or a 160 um, because I just wanted to kill a deer with my, my recurve. Um, like I said, it's probably going to hit right at 130, but still, that didn't matter to me. Uh, I just wanted to kill an animal with my with my recurve. Um, and score didn't matter at that point. Now, whether I shot a forky, it still has a score. I mean, it still would score 11 uh, or 14, whatever it would have scored. But uh, it did have a, a, a score on it. Um, now, whether I choose to measure it and say that score or not, that's up to me. But you're 100% correct. But that leads me into my question for you, Daniel. Do you go? Do you like typical or non-typical? You like trash and garbage or do you want to be super symmetric? Um, I really like both. Like I, I like having as many categories yeah. as I can pursue. Yeah. I want to be able to enter something into all of these categories. Like we're going to bring it up again. Cause I talked to Tim about the Roosevelt elk. There's only one category. What are we doing here? Let's put two categories in there. There's more opportunities for entries. You know, like I want those opportunities. I like to have a typical and a non-typical. Yeah. Um, I just love it when guys say, I'm all about the typical. And I'm like, so you mean to tell me if a 200-inch whitetail with trash comes out, you ain't shooting it? Yes, you are. Like, don't tell me that. I think this... I think this argument, this discussion um, started a long time ago. You know, it's just like the the groups online and somebody says, what's the best bow or what's the best broadhead? You know, the real question is, what's more lethal, a piece of equipment or shot placement? Um, But when Kings came out with those posters and they had – all the typical and not typical mule deer on that horizon, kind of in a sunset picture. It seems like everybody had a different answer of which one they would shoot. Mm-hmm. For sure. I don't know if there'd ever be a consensus. No. I mean, it's all personal preference. I mean, I have seen deer come yeah. in that are, are super, super symmetric. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I want to shoot that deer. And I've had deer come in that I'm like the one I shot last year. I don't know if I've showed you a picture of it, Tim. When I saw it coming down the hill, I'm like, ah, it's probably not big enough. But then he gets down and he's got some crazy cool trash. And I'm like, oh, never mind. Like, I'm shooting him. Like, <laughs> I it's it just whatever at the time is like, oh, dude, that's really cool. I mean, because he, he had a, an extra, almost an extra main beam coming up right in the middle. And so I'm like, oh, that's so cool. So I ended up shooting him. Um, but if he didn't have that, I wouldn't have shot him. Like, so it's just different for every deer, man. That's why I love, that's why I love antlers because they're all different. They're all have something cool to offer. That's why I love caribou. Yeah. Every single one of them is completely different. Yeah. What's I your next big, hunt? next big hunt? What is it? Another caribou? It's the stone. I got stone sheep, then a, a central barren ground caribou. That one's being put under some hard pressure on there's very few tags of that. So I'm I shot one last year that was a little bit over Boone and Crockett, but um I had some struggles and I ended up having to shoot that one with a rifle. But you know, like I'm not afraid to use a rifle and all that does is put me back in the field again to hunt the same animal. So I learned 
one time I shot an animal with a rifle and came back two years later and killed a world record. So who knows what we're going to do this year. I killed a, a Boone and Crockett bull last year with the rifle and um, we'll be going back up there again into an area that hasn't been hunted in years. There's no telling what will be up there. That's cool. Yeah. So, Daniel, one question that we ask everybody, and, and this question isn't going away anytime soon. So, <laughs> no matter what you're chasing, whether it be caribou, world record caribou, or down in Texas, you're chasing whitetails, what's one non-traditional item you always have with you? I have thought about it a little bit because I listened to a couple of the podcasts and you asked it. And mine is going to be floss. I cannot stand having stuff stuck between my teeth. <laughs> there you go. Come on, you can't always... just use paracord? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a problem is I have to have specific floss because my teeth are so tight. They don't, they don't like letting anything in there. And it's just, I can't, I can't, I'll lose my mind if I don't have floss with me everywhere interesting interesting have you I've ever not heard found that yourself before. using floss like in a crazy way in the on the mountain you know you never know when you might need a tourniquet so i bet you can get a i bet you can wrap floss enough to where you can um cut off a blood flow off your arm or that something. is I'm certainly sure you how you get a sponsorship up. with origel dude if you save somebody's <laughs> life with origel you're done you got it you're set for life on the floss dude that's right that's awesome that's right Tim, what do well, you got planned thing, this fall? Oh, not much. Not much. Um, didn't really draw anything. I've got an Idaho deer tag and then um, a couple over-the-counters in Oregon. That's I'm awesome. I'm taking a gentleman down on a pronghorn hunt here in about uh, 20 days for a couple days. Very cool. What about old Oki from Muskogee? Is he coming back to bear hunt with you? He hasn't said so. But he did send me photos of the new lake. Oh my and, gosh, uh, dude, it's so cool. I know he's I know he's really in, engrossed in that. And he's excited because the, the big hunt that's gonna go out there with Chuck. Oh dude, I can't wait for that. Um which that's actually kind of a crazy story. People are people are like, Well, how'd you how did you wiggle your way into that one? How do you get to hunt with Chuck? And I said, Well, that I so what happened was last year, so twenty 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 two, Chuck calls me. And we're just talking, and and uh, I said, "Well, you're not you're not hunting any whitetails," and he said, "I don't have any whitetail tags." I'm like, "Well, dude, I have an outfit in Oklahoma. Um, just come down, we'll hunt." And we just couldn't line up schedules, and so he's like, "Well, let's do it for 23." And so I'm calling and I'm bragging to Jason. I'm like, "Dude, I'm going on a whitetail hunt with Chuck Adams," and uh, he's like, "Well, do you think you'd do a raffle?" And I'm like, "Don't know why I wouldn't." And so he ended up raffling off this hunt, and so uh, I'm. For those of you who don't know, this is our our uh, whitetail hunt at Liberty Ranch with Chuck Adams. Uh, but dude, that lake they just built is insane. Um, I had the privilege of right when it got dug, so there's no water in it. We got to go to the very bottom, and it's probably seventy feet deep. I mean, you're looking up, and it's dude, it's crazy deep. Uh, Fifty acre pond, just really cool. I think it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be fun. I mean, for sure to to fish and swim and. They're building a bunch of docks and putting a bunch of pontoons out there just to go, you know, float around and fish and have fun. So it'll be fun for sure. Yeah. So, Daniel, I guess my last question, um, 
in the world of Pope and Young's promoting, protecting, and preserving bow hunting, what is it that you see in the bow hunting world and industry from your perspective that encourages you or concerns you the most for bow hunting in general? Hmm. That's pretty tough. Um, like I, I guess my, I really want to just do work to try and make sure that there's opportunities for all hunting in the future. Um, I believe in this path of trying to go after giant animals is going to hopefully help me get into the right place so I can educate and teach as much information about the hunting industry, what, what hunters do for the industry, for animals, for animals to survive. Like this red brocket deer that I just shot, nobody even knows about it. They don't know that it exists. So what is happening to that is now there's a potential chance for us to lose all rights potentially because the locals don't want people coming in there because there's no value to them. But if there's this value to them for hunters of any kind, bow hunter, rifle hunter, shotgun hunter, spears, whatever's legal, that opportunity is going to make those people want the animal to survive and flourish so they can get that that money brought into their villages. And um, that's why I hunted two different animals that nobody even really knows about. Some people know about the Arctic Island caribou, but whenever I shot that, supposedly I was the first person and only person to have ever killed one with a bow. And this drive for bow hunting is wanting me to look into what opportunities we have here in North America and then beyond after I'm finished here, which I probably after won't I'm ever finished. be finished here. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I'll. that's my main thing is I want to be able to educate and teach it's surprising how many people don't know anything about the hunting industry. Nothing about it. Yeah, for sure, dude. No, I. what's really encouraging to me, um, and it just so happened that it happened in one year, but, you know, you came to convention with a world record, and you were fired up, and, and you're a young guy, and uh, Eric comes with his new world record in Tule Elk, and he was fired up, and, you know, you're starting to see a bunch of young guys get excited about what Pope and Young is doing. And that for me is really mm -hmm. exciting. You know, that was when I first came on board with Pope and Young as the marketing director, that was what I wanted to happen. I just wanted to see not a switch. We don't want to do away with the history, but I wanted to see more young guys just get invested into what Pope and Young is doing. Um, and so really encouraging for me, this convention, just to see a bunch of young guys coming, not only having entered their awards, but fired up about what Pope and Young is doing. So for sure, I, I was excited, I, um, man. Well, one of the random things that kind of, I guess I could have said this earlier at the beginning when y'all asked about it, but um, 
like what got me really going was a friend of mine. Y'all might know him. Y'all might not. Jack Brittingham. He had the world record brown bear for a long time. Mm -hmm. And I had this crazy idea. I was like, man, I'm going to show Jack. I'm going to beat him. And I ended up getting into brown bear stuff and found a place to go and became friends with them. It took me almost five years to draw that tag. So I got to go on a couple um, outfit, like go help them out and stuff at the beginning. And I ended up killing at the time, number seven in the world, trying to beat Jack Brittingham. But then it's kind of cool because it ended up putting me right next to Fred Bear which is oh, wow. cool. wild. Now I got to be right next to Fred Bear in the record books, which is pretty amazing. So That's neat. Yeah, that was that was a really cool and that really set me off. Maybe I can do this stuff. So That's cool. Well, and you know, it's that mentality that some people are like hunting isn't a competition. Quit trying to make it a We're not. But if I don't have mm-hmm. anything to shoot for, I mean, if there's no standard of maturity if there's no world record to chase if there's no not that it wouldn't be fun anymore but that gives something to work towards like is pope and young the standard of excellence no but it gives guys a a minimum to shoot for to say man i'd really like to make it in the books or it gives some sort of like you said some sort of drive to reach that next number um so you're you're right it's not a competition but it still gives us something to look at and say, man, I would love to be in that book one day and gives you something to shoot for, something to 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 work towards. And so you're right. It's not a competition. We're in this because we love hunting, but it still is that standard of like, man, I'd love to make it there one day. Mm-hmm. For sure. I um, I really love the fact of me being crazy like this and it puts me in the field and I meet more guides. Like I have to go back year after year after year to try and make this goal happen. So I'm getting to meet more natives and learn from all these native people. And, you know, it's, I'm not pursuing to have the biggest in the world or a top 10 entry. I'm pursuing this, to go meet people yeah, and hopefully eventually educate. That's awesome, man. Well, Daniel, thank you so much for coming on, uh, from, from me and Tim and from all of us at Pope and young, congratulations on your new world record, man. Can't wait to see you in 25 in Phoenix. Um, don't book any hunts around that time. You've already got that on your (laughs) schedule. So don't, don't book any hunts around there. Um, yeah, uh, come to guys, come to, come to, uh, college station, Bryan, Texas, um, on December 2nd, December it's gonna 2nd, heck, it's going to be a heck of an event. Uh, so we want to see you there and, um, thank you so much for tuning in guys. We're so glad, uh, to be back with you guys on the podcast. Um, we hope that, that you missed our sweet, sweet voices as much as, as we miss talking. So, uh, thank you guys. Thank you. Thanks, Daniel.